Right now? Yep. Okay. Very good. So you said this. Say it again. Breakthrough. 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 A next fab made podcast. A next fab made podcast. All right, I'll try again. Breakthrough. A next fab made podcast. Breakthrough is a podcast series about making. Making discoveries, making a difference in the community, and making the world a better place. It's the stories of startups and inventors who are developing products that have social value by solving real-world problems. It's about artisans and entrepreneurs who have broken through the mold to live their best lives. Welcome to our inaugural episode of Breakthrough, a NextFab Made podcast series. I'm your host, Ron Bauman, founder of Milk Street Marketing and NextFab member. Our first guest is Mark Brandon, founder of Destin Goods, a custom drinkware company based right here in Philadelphia. Mark is also a member that runs his business completely from a private project space inside NextFab. Mark begins by telling us about his journey to becoming an entrepreneur. We discussed his background, his education, how his career started in the corporate world, and how his wife's support motivated him to believe in himself and his dreams. Yeah, so my name is Mark. I'm the founder of Destin Goods. I've been a member at NextFab since November of 2013. Um, however, I just started this venture just about the beginning of uh, 2018. So I've been working on some prior projects. Uh, one of them was a, a party game called Slush and Roulette. I uh, did a Kickstarter and then ended up putting that on the bookshelf and reorienting my time. So <clears throat> with Destin Goods, what I make in uh, design and produce home goods, specifically drinkware, Everything I design and make is here out of NextFab. Uh, the two components I primarily work in right now are ceramics, so I do all of the slip casting uh, next door in my studio, which is also part of NextFab. It's a warehouse space that they run out. Uh, I also do leather work as well, so I have some equipment for that that I do out of my space as well as um, utilizing the laser engravers. Awesome. In what, the did you, space. what did you do before you started here at NextFab making things? So I'm a mechanical engineer. I went to Drexel University, uh, graduated in 2013 with my mechanical engineering degree. Um, all three co-ops, as well as for five years after graduation, I worked in petroleum uh, industry. So I was a retail engineer for Sunoco. Um, and then actually at the beginning of, or yeah, beginning of 2017, they did some restructuring of the organization. And so, As corporations want to do. Yeah, correct. Exactly. So there were some relocations. Um, so some of the regional departments end up getting dispatched, including the engineering department that I was part of. So I was ready to get another job. I was networking, working with different vendors and clients that uh, would get me back in the industry, basically, just so we could keep that steady income and whatnot. In the meantime, I was already moonlighting, I guess you could say, working on this at night between here on the engineering design part of the products, as well as at the clay studio on second and race in Old City, so I could get that ceramics experience. Mm. Um, so as it was getting to the point where they were letting people know, hey, you're laid off, thank you for your time, basically, my wife said, hey, instead of getting another job, you've wanted to have your own company since college, since, since the end of college, basically. But why don't you take this as a sign to go headfirst into it and mm -hmm. do it full-time? We're at a good position in our relationship where we're already married. We just have rent. We don't have kids. 
we have the financial flexibility to take this risk. So it's not the sort of thing I would have volunteered us as a, as a couple to do, but having her support really, just knowing that she was confident enough in my ability to do it, made me confident in myself to try it out. That's so awesome. that's how I started doing it full time. That's awesome. So my, first, my last full day, or last day at Sunoco was, I think January 22nd or 23rd of 2018. And that was my first full day awesome. at Destin Goods. Awesome. So you just done with Sunoco. I think the first thing on, I did. On to Destin Goods. Yeah, exactly. How did you come and, up with the name for Destin Goods? Was It It was a like month long struggle. Yeah, that's exactly it. So I really wanted to come up with something that conveyed the message that I want behind the whole thing, which is interacting with your favorite people, your friends and your family. So I was thinking of things along the lines of heirloom and legacy. And then it was a shower moment. And I was, hmm. we were talking about how the whole layoff process and the way I got into this full time, I was kind of destined mm-hmm. to get something to push me into entrepreneurship full time. So Dustin Goods just ended up making sense. Do you feel like you always had an entrepreneurial sort of bum, like bug? or? So I know? think the maker bug was always an innate part right. of me, for sure. I was always making stuff. Uh, I guess to use the cliche, I was that Lego kid. I was always doing uh, designs and whatnot as well with different product ideas and character ideas. But um, as I got into college, I started getting that entrepreneurship bug Mm -hmm. because I really, as Shark Tank was getting popular, um, I'm a huge fan of The Profit now as well. So as I saw the opportunity and commercialization, and as I was realizing with my corporate job that I'm not the biggest fan of reporting to bosses, (laughs) I like to be able to make the shots. Not that I can't work in a team situation, but when I can't agree with the decisions coming from the top, it's difficult to go nose to the grindstone on yeah. something. So being able to get that um, opportunity really drew, drew me into the entrepreneurship uh, field. Yeah, sort of be your own boss. So that characteristic is very yeah. uh, probably the most common trait of, of entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And at the same time, I feel like my head's always spinning with different marketing ideas and different uh, creative partnerships. Right better not only for my own business but for other companies just from here in a few minutes of what they do and so having the design and the marketing aspects it just made sense to jump into entrepreneurship are you from the area so you, you chose Drexel you went to Drexel for mechanical engineering are you yeah. from Philadelphia uh at greater Philadelphia area I say okay. South Jersey and then people try to correct me even though there's really only North and South Jersey because it's not the beach South Jersey it's Audubon right. so I I, I was born in Baltimore, Maryland, but we moved to South Jersey, my parents and I, when I was less than one year old. Okay. Um, and then I grew up the rest of my life in Audubon, New Jersey, which is right over the Walt Whitman Bridge. Sure. So 15 minutes away. Both, I have two younger brothers. Um, they grew up in Audubon as well. My parents still live there. Um, both my parents went to Drexel for chemical engineering. So we've got that engineering bug in our genes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where they met. So they say that we had a choice to go somewhere else. But we all ended up going to Drexel because it just makes sense. Right. Um, it's a good level-headed um, university to go to. You get a, a really good batch of people that are well-rounded, which fit well with my friend group from high school. So I felt comfortable there. And then the co-op opportunity is just fantastic sure. as well. Yeah, uh, the co-op is great there. So did yeah. you do the two-year, four-year internship? I did the five-year program with three six-month internships. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so all three of those I did at Sunoco. 
in their engineering department. So I was going to ask what drew you to mechanical engineering, but I think you already answered it, at least with... Well, uh, it's funny. I, I you know, say that... It sounds like it's in your, in your genes a little bit. Sort of. So I say that my parents are the reason I didn't do chemical engineering, but okay. that's just me being a brat. So right. really, <laughs> the mechanical engineering is because it's really diverse. Um, you get a taste of all of the different fields, which works well with me because I sort of have, um, like topic ADD. Mm-hmm. So if I f- try to focus on just chemical engineering and just refining or process of, of that, I would get bored. But with mechanical engineering, like Destin Goods is an awesome oppor- or example of the fact that I could take a five-year degree from a university and apply it to an art form because I use the CAD and the CNC experience and thinking through the material science that I used. So that's really what drew me to it is, is, is the diversity of it. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So... Um, so you go through Drexel, you end up at Sunoco for a few years, not really digging the corporate thing. Yeah. You start to have these ideas, yep. and you ended up. Uh, what, what inspired you to? What was the real, what was the root of that inspiration that said, you know, I'm going to start, you know, making these other things, and I'm going to start making these products that are, you know, you know, potentially, you know, bring you know friends and family together. Mm-hmm. Talk about that inspiration. So I think it it all kind of. Uh, exploded in my senior year and maybe that's because it was the culmination of where I was actually at the point that I was comfortable enough to make the products. I had had an idea to do an automated drink dispenser like an automated bartender a robotic bartender. Um, So I'm sensing a theme with your products. (laughs) (laughs) I guess as my wife puts it with I had two products senior year that I was working on my senior design project which was an automated bartender and then the party game which was called slush and roulette. so at the, I think it was the second term of working on senior design, I started jumping into slush and roulette and working on that as well. And that incorporated electronics also. So I basically shoved an Arduino into a shell that looked like a revolver chamber, uh-huh. like Russian roulette. Sure. So I started developing that product. That's actually the first product that I worked on when I joined Nextfab. Nice. I tried a Kickstarter and then I bookshelved it, like I mentioned earlier. Right. Um, but yeah, so that's really where it all just started to kick off because... I felt really confident in my ability of fabricating, and I proved to myself, hey, I actually can make these things that I think up. What's the next thing? Sure. What's the next thing I can do? Um, so, What not, is the next thing? Well, not to jump the gun. Right. I, I actually worked on Slush and Roulette for several years, did the Kickstarter in 2016 here, and then took a little bit of time off. Mm. I also had my wedding coming up in sure. 2007, uh, 2016. Sorry. Better get that right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this um, is all documented. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. She'll kill me. <laughs> so um, that led me into joining NextFab. I joined here, and basically I was telling KP earlier, my routine was wake up in the morning, go to work as early as possible, get here at like 6 or 7, Stayed till they were closing. They usually kicked me out the door right. at 10 o'clock at night. They were like, come on, we want to go home, too. Right. Um, and then sometimes I'd stop at the gym if it was open late enough, and then I would go home and just continue that rotation as much as possible. And it was good because I didn't have any external pressures to do anything else. I could really dive into the project. But also it gave me the opportunity to learn a lot of different skills right. that helped later on with this venture, um, just soft skills or as well as software skills with Illustrator, web development, sure. um, things like that, 3D printing, laser cutting, CNC. Awesome. 
awesome. all of it kind of came together to help out big time with this one. So, you know, you, you have this, you know, this uh, de- dedication to, you know, being here. You said you're here from open to close at NextFab. Yep. You had this idea. So, you know, talk to me about really what's driving that passion. You know, is it, is it that just that urge to, to make and, and work with your hands? You know, what's, what's really driving, you know, that dedication and that passion that you have? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So I think just as much as I love to design products and iterate my products, at the same time, I want to see the fulfillment part of it. I want people to own them, enjoy them, and love it to a point that they become an ambassador. So until I get to that point, and I won't stop at that point, that's really that driving factor. And I continue to want to make my product better and better so that on the tail end of it, on the, on the co- consumer usage part of it, mm-hmm. it just becomes even more of a, a wanted product, essentially. Awesome. As the conversation shifted to Mark's time at NextFab, we dove deeper into the instrumental role his membership and the maker community played in the birth of Destined Goods. So uh, tell us a little bit more about how NextFab has sort of helped you, you know, get to where you're at right now with Destined Goods. And, yeah. you know, we know that you, you know, you're one of the you know, members uh, and companies here that use, you know, more than one department. So talk to us about, you know, the integration of the different departments and, you know, how NextFab, you know, helps you sort of navigate through and, and, you know, kind of chart your, help chart your success. Yeah, there there are two big things that NextFab provides that really make this a a much faster experience for me. Um, The first one being the person part of it. So all of the different experts Mm -hmm. and all of the different expertise that would take me four or five lifetimes at a minimum to obtain... Um, if there's a particular skill set that I want to use, there's at least one or two people that are near expert level, if not expert level. And so not having to take several months, but several hours to get to something that I want to do mm-hmm. makes the design and iteration process so much faster. So it helps with time and money, obviously. The other thing, too, um, the cost prohibitive part of all of the tools, if I wanted to start my own shop, and I'm sure I would come up with something. But I don't know, like off the top of my head, I really don't know because it's such a unique space having all of these tools that cost tens of thousands of dollars to obtain. It would really be prohibitive to do it on my own. So having access to them on day one just affords me the opportunity to design and produce at a level that would take much longer. So it really is a competitive advantage from that standpoint. So, you know, we know about all of the, uh, the making that happens here. Uh, we know about, um, you know, the, the productization of, uh, you know, somebody that can come in uh, and with a project, you know, make a coffee table or, you know, you could build a, an automated robot. Uh, tell us about the entrepreneurial aspects of, of what happens here at NextFab. Yeah, so I know for me the, the biggest benefit of the entrepreneurial aspect and having other companies that are incubating here or working their day jobs here is the motivating factor. So if it was just me and the rest of the place was, or if I was in my own place, let's say, uh-huh. and it wasn't a community space, admittedly it would be a bit harder to motivate myself to be just pounding out work all day long and then possibly all the way until midnight. But knowing between 2019 and having other businesses that are producing and manufacturing, as well as upstairs in the community space and even in the metal shop and the wood shop, Seeing people that are working just as hard makes you not necessarily muster up that competitive spirit, 
but it wants you to be your best entrepreneur because you see other people doing it as well. So that really helps. Also from a networking standpoint, um, there are so many people that know people that it grows your network so quickly. Yeah, and I think you have that, you still have the common, uh, at least for the time being, you have that the commonality of uh, you know, small batch manufacturing Absolutely. that you hear about so much. And, yeah. um, you know, with, uh, you know, making, you know, making a comeback right. uh, and, and bringing manufacturing um, back to, uh, to the United States and to this region in Philadelphia specifically, yep. um, which, you know, we were the wood shop of the world. Right. <laughs> uh, is what, you know, Philadelphia was referred to at one point. Uh, and it's great to see, you know, all of this, um, you know, reemergence of people making things again. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, and I think, you know, with the small batch manufacturing, um, you know, allows for a lot more, you know, customization. It does. So, you know, talk to us about sort of the, you know, how that plays into, uh, to destined goods and the things that you make. Yeah. So it's funny that you say that. Um, at first when I started destined goods, the idea of it came from, we, we did a destination wedding slash honeymoon in Cancun, Riviera Maya, Mexico. So when we were at the first resort, we saw these random bottles. I didn't know what they were. I thought they were vases or, or something. Uh-huh. And then I come to find out at tequila tasting at the cantina, it was tequila decanters. Nice. I'm like, those are cool. Come the honeymoon, they were pitching them to every couple. They were like, hey, do you want to try some? Don't you want to buy one? And then finally, by the end of it, I said, that would be a really cool memento to commemorate the wedding and it being in Mexico and the honeymoon and everything else. And the, the thing was super ornate. It was beautiful. And the whole week of the honeymoon, we, my wife and I were talking about, how do we get a passive income lifestyle so that we can do what we see other couples doing here? We were talking to one couple. They were a, a cold-cut um, distributor from New York. Okay. And they're like, we come down here three times a year. And we said, man, if we come down here once every five years, that would be fantastic. Right. So good for you. And so when we came back and we're looking through the thank you notes and everything else and opening up cards, I look at, I jokingly put it at the top of our entertainment center like a trophy, mm-hmm. the, the bottle, and I said, you know, I'm going to keep that forever because I'm going to remember the, the, the wedding. I mean, the tequila's going to be long gone within a year, sure. but at least I'll have the bottle to remember it forever. I'll keep filling it with the other tequilas. And then I thought, I'm sure there are millions of other couples out there that want something that could commemorate their wedding, commemorate their first child, commemorate a promotion, anything like that. Even if it's not necessarily a tequila, it could be some sort of a spirit. So it got me thinking on the decanter style, and I didn't want to do what everybody else does, which is crystal and glass decanters. I wanted it to be more ornate like a vase. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking maybe wood turning. And then I looked at that company I got the decanter from, and they said on their website they do slipcasting ceramics. So that's how I got into the idea of slipcasting. Pivoting back to the slush and roulette idea, (laughs) I did a Kickstarter. I didn't raise enough money. The difficulty was not that the product cost a lot. It wasn't. It was only 80% margin if I sold it. Right. Um, The difficulty was the minimum order quantity that, resultingly needed me to raise $70,000 to make $0. $30,000 for tooling and molds for the injection molded parts, and then $40,000 for the cost of goods to get that minimum order quantity. Then you come up with $70,000, so that's obviously what the Kickstarter was for, Mm -hmm. and that's to make $0, basically. Obviously, to have some extra inventory to make money off of because it would be 100% profit at that point, But still, that's a big nut to crack. 
So when it came to Destin Goods, I wasn't integrating that lesson learned, but what I was trying to do was, because the inspiration was make it passive income, I tried to make, my priority was make it outsourced as much as possible. So I was using crowdsourcing for logo generation. I found a guy on Kickstarter that makes ceramic plates. I asked him how he gets them made. He said, here's a guy I talked to. He's a broker for a Chinese manufacturer. So I just said, hey, I have this idea for bottles. What would the cost be? He said, oh, it would be a few dollars each. How many do I have to buy? 2000 So not that it's a ton of capital, but it was an idea. I had no idea if anybody wanted to buy it. So for a little less but still $10,000, I could end up just sitting on ceramic right. bottles forever in a garage. Sure. So I didn't like the idea of that. I said, you know what? I'm getting that bad taste in my mouth just like I did with the slush and roulette Kickstarter and overseas manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And then the make room, you started coming back out. And I said, you know what? For less than what that inventory cost could be, I could buy all of the equipment to start my own ceramic shop. Next, we asked Mark to tell us about some of the people who inspired him throughout his life. He told us about his father, his high school woodshop teacher, and of course, his wife. Uh, let's talk about some of the people in your life that have inspired you that have helped you get to where you're at today. Yeah, absolutely. So I, my dad was always a hands-on guy. Um, maybe not necessarily a master carpenter or plumber or anything else, but he was able to get the job done. So he, I was lucky enough that he would always allow me to help him out with it. So I could at least get that experience of seeing how, what you can do with your hands. Um, did you, work on some pro- did you work on projects together when you were a kid? Yeah, we, we worked on a lot of different projects. He, um, they got me the 30-in-1 radio kit from Radio Shack. So they, they quickly and kind of like... Nudged you that way? They, they sort of tried to nudge me yeah. into the engineering realm and electronics realm, which I'm really appreciative of. Um, there were random things. Like they would start getting me soldering kits. So there was like a little robotic spider you put together. You solder the board together to get everything to work. Just so I didn't know what I was doing. Right. They read the instructions, but at least they kind of introduced me to the concepts of it. Otherwise, I wouldn't know what, what it was. But I think one of the larger projects that I took on was um, when I got into woodshop in high school, that's when I really had a love for making things. So mm-hmm. at first, it was basically... All right, everybody makes a shelf. It's wood shop, one intro to wood shop. You're making a shelf or you're making a paper towel dispenser. <laughs> and then you get into wood shop two and three where you make your own thing. So I was able to start pulling from the project books. I could make a really cool revealed uh, dovetail table with an ash top and walnut legs that came out awesome. Um, I was starting to incorporate different finishes. So using India ink to do a cherry finish. So I think that's when I started getting an appreciation for sort of a modern blend of matching, not stark contrasting materials, but different type of materials without making them look super embellished, letting them be their own material, but by combining them, getting a cool sense. And I think that came back um, with Destin Goods, with the ceramics and the leather and the wood and the metals. But um, my woodshop teacher, Mr. Laughlin, was a really cool sounding board. For I was everything. just going to ask, you know, did you have any teachers that specifically influenced yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. He, he did big time. Um, but my first project that I ideated from scratch and created with the help of my woodshop teacher and then actually the help of my dad as well was in sophomore year, I wanted to make my own bass guitar. Worked out really well. It didn't sound the best because I'm not a luthier. But do you play? Are you? Do you play? Are you? I I haven't touched it in a couple of years. I'm just a hobbyist. I don't know how to read music or anything. I more so liked 
making it, then I'd, I like playing it as well, but just on, as a hobby when I can. Who yeah. else do you draw inspiration from? Um, so uh, from a working standpoint, my wife is a huge inspiration, and she didn't pay it's me good to answer. say that. It's a good answer, I was <laughs> yeah. going to say, because yeah, this will be made line. public at some point, exactly. <laughs> you should make that the opening line of this. But she's probably the hardest working person I've ever met. But um, for me, even though if I get home and I'm exhausted and I don't want to do some of the administrative stuff, when she's on the couch next to me and she's got her laptop open until 10 o'clock at night, and uh, it's hard for me to say, hey, I'm going to turn the TV on even though I have stuff to do. So it just keeps motivating me. I'm sensing another comp- competitive theme that's, uh, that's emerging here. Yes, I mean, it's a little bit of that uh, live to work, yeah. and we both want to have more of that uh, work-life balance yeah. lifestyle, but at the same time, it's kind of integrated into our bones because we do enjoy what we do. And even though sometimes we do need a break here and there, it's hard for us to not do that around the clock. Yeah, I think one of the most important things uh, for entrepreneurs uh, is to really be able to connect their passion yeah. to what they're doing and to their purpose and really infusing that, uh, you know, not only into your, your business model, but into your brand and, and everything that um, is involved with, with, uh, with what you're doing and what you're making. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, we find that, you know, passion really becomes is, you know, what are you good at? And, you know, how do you want to spend your time? What right. do you like to do and what are you good at? And then, you know, yeah. that, at that intersection is where you find passion. Yeah, and exactly. And that's where if you can connect that to, um, to your life's calling and make that your life's calling, then, you know, what, you know, what better way to, to spend your, your days and your time? To wrap up, Mark tells us about his vision for the future of Destined Goods and gives us some advice for budding entrepreneurs. I want to grow from a talent acquisition standpoint, as well as, I guess you could say, a a fabrication warehouse standpoint organically as the business finds the need for it. So as I start getting larger orders, and it makes more sense to me for me to have laser independence and buy my own laser cutter, because if I have an order that is tens of thousands of dollars for a corporation as I'm working towards, it makes sense to get a laser cutter that's a couple thousand dollars because the ROI makes sense, and then it helps me grow. I have different product ideas that the cost is a little bit high because I have to use a community laser cutter where I'm paying for the machine time. But if it's a machine that's already buried into my overhead cost, Mm -hmm. I can get the product cost down as well. So then I can start expanding my product offering as well. I could start doing some cutting boards and coasters and some other home goods. I want to do wall furnishings as well. And then things that are outside of home goods, but I could go on and on about it. I have to stay focused a little bit on what I'm offering for the time being. Uh, that's great. So where can we find Destin Goods? So Destin Goods, I sell on my website, uh, destingoods.com, all social media. Uh, I guess the popular ones, Facebook and Instagram. I have Destin Goods as well. So that's the easiest way for people to find it. And that's where the store is as well. Awesome. Yeah. Any favorite other, uh, any other favorite Instagram accounts? Uh, I like following NextFab because I get to see what people are doing. Good answer. Good yeah. answer. I think Good it's answer. hashtag uh, NextFabMade. Yes, that is the primary hashtag. Yeah. Well, it's great to see how NextFab's played a role in your success. Last question. Uh, yeah. What's the best advice you can give to budding entrepreneurs? Um, so if there are things that you don't feel confident in, don't feel like you have to be um, turning your wheels and figuring it out yourself. Feel comfortable reaching out to other entrepreneurs rather makers, or they're kind of one in the same most of the time, because a lot of the time, they know where you're coming from. They've learned those lessons. It doesn't have to necessarily be an investor or a coach. It could be somebody who has their own business. That's kind of the best source. 
and that's what really helped me out is just reaching out to other artisans and other people who started their own company that's awesome yeah well mark thank you for your time we wish you the best of luck with destin goods Absolutely. we look forward to seeing you around the shop here at next fab and uh until next time yeah thank you very All much right, you got it thank you for listening to the inaugural episode of breakthrough i'm your host ron bauman serial entrepreneur founder of milk street marketing and next fab member to learn more about how next fab can help you make your ideas come to life visit nextfab.com and be sure to follow hashtag nextfabmade on social to see what our members are making.